brutally honest with you guys. My first reaction when I saw this episode was, oh, not this episode. And it's probably obvious why I think that. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised to hear most of my viewers probably don't like this episode. Uh, Lord knows I have heard a decent amount of negativity about this episode in the past. What I found interesting, though, was when I thought about it for a minute, when I actually stepped away from it and, and started thinking, well, okay, hang on. It started piecing into my mind that I wasn't really sure why I was thinking that. I couldn't list anything specific that made me dislike it. And so I was like, well, okay. Removed the ug from my mind and said, I'm going to judge this on its own merits. That being said, my initial thoughts have changed. I actually ended up liking this episode except for a couple of things. But I think talking about the behind-the-scenes thing will kind of help explain why this episode is lackluster. Because it is. Um, so they wanted... Okay, I mentioned... Uh, I believe it was last episode? Pretty recently I mentioned the idea of fingerprints. The idea that certain writers have you know concepts and, and ideas and writing styles that are indicative to them. And you can kind of pick this up. This... Uh, the the idea behind this episode has Brandon Braga written all over it. Uh, it's two it's two ideas basically. One, let's do something different, and two, misinterpreted history. Okay, and I'm actually with that. And and that's the thing. Like that that's just what kind of caught me. I'm like, well, wait a minute. Am I just against this episode because it's not really a standard Voyager episode? Because that's not a good reason. In my opinion, in my opinion now, obviously, you know, as I'm looking at it with analysis mode on, with, you know, the rumination sensor, whatever you want to call it going. What I'm actually thinking about, it's like, well, that's not valid, so why, you know. So that's what got me thinking. Now, the thing is, Joe Minoski was tasked with writing this. Now, that, I feel, explains everything about this, because there's some good character, but some bad plot, if that makes any sense. The plot of this episode, the, the past plot, the plot in... Uh, the year 2001, or rather the end of the year 2000, but you know what I mean, the, around the, the second millennium, um, is so, so typical and so basic and so bleh that it, 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 it just shifted immediately into disinteresting. Like just, there we go, we're in disinterest. And it never left there for me. Because it is, it is completely by the books, a numbers, standard, you know, it, it's practically the taming of the shrew, but except in reverse. But it, that's not what I mean. That's that's a bad par parallel. What I mean is, uh, I, there's probably a term for this. There's the old person, and then there's the new person. I'm not talking about age. And the two people are like, we've got to convince each other because I'm right and I'm right. And then they work it at the end. Uh, depending on the specific writer, sometimes the new person will win because that writer believes in the new, and sometimes the old person will win. It's the getting up on a sa uh, soapbox thing. I've talked about this concept before. In this episode, they actually do something well with it. I'm going to save that for very last. I'll talk about why. So just keep that in the back of your mind. But So the plot is just... Ugh. But there's some really good character stuff under there. The gentleman, Henry, is portrayed in a couple of scenes as this extremely stereotypical, just spouting idiot, basically. You know, you're, ah, get my land, and, uh, the stereotypical, ignorant, um, holding back progress guy. I, I don't know what else to call that, you know, the old, as I already mentioned. And yet, that's only in a couple of scenes. Every other scene he's in, where he's actually interacting with other characters, there's some good character stuff. And you see there's actual dimensions to him as a person, layers to him, a, a, a degree of understanding, a degree of personality, his strong personality uh, leading him towards 
I mean, in this episode, he basically plays, in Star Trek equivalents, the captain of this particular episode, with Janeway playing a complete, excuse me, Mulgrew playing a completely different person. By the way, I want to give huge props to Kate Mulgrew. She does an excellent job in this episode. It's a little amazing uh, to me, because she is playing a completely different character. And I mention that because it's so subtle that if I wasn't really paying attention, I might not have noticed. But it's all about the little things. She, Her tone... She's very hesitant when she talks. She has to consider her words carefully. Um, she tends to be a lot more withdrawn, a lot less expressive, a lot, a lot less of the movement and, and the strength. She's, she's, you know, her moments are very reserved. And it's a bunch of other little stuff. She does a great job of portraying that. Anyways, getting back to my point. So she is, is a, she's got some nice dynamics and character to behind her. Even the, uh, the corporate guy was actually well written. He actually manages to move outside of typical corporate jackass, which is what everyone was expecting him to be, to being a decent a decent person, really. And you get to see there's a few layers in development. So all of this is Joe Minoski's style. Good character. Good characterization. That That's his shtick. He's great at that. It's just the plot is so blah. But I'm saying all this to lead into a point. Joe Minoski hated this episode. Joe Minoski was fervently against the idea of a non-sci-fi Voyager episode. He hated the concept, and you can just feel it dripping off the page. His loathing for having to be saddled with this terrible episode. In fact, Joe Minoski himself pushed back on this and said, I can't do it. I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it. And a compromise was reached, and that's why we have the framing device of Voyager actually being in the episode. You might look at me weird, but the original intent was no Voyager scenes. It was all going to be set in the past, all set uh, in the year 2000 uh, with the story of O'Donnell rather than anything to do with the present. And Joe Minoski insisted that there be some sci-fi elements to it, and that's why the framing device exists. I just like to say as an aside, I don't like that framing device at all but only because it interrupts the flow of the story. I, I, I actually found myself this walkthrough, this this playthrough? View through? I don't know what to call that. This time through, I found myself actually getting engaged in the characters of the past, and you know, and I was taking notes, and it's like this, and this, and this, and then it would cut to the present, and I'm like, Ugh. okay, we're in the present now. It was jarring. There was very little smooth segueing between the two, other than the very first segue, which was great. If they had just had that initial one, she was, oh, yes, and she was flown out on a private jet to work on it, and then it cuts to her in a broken down, uh, Volkswagen? No, it wasn't a Volkswagen. What was she? she was driving an old car, especially by 2000 standards, and especially especially by Star Trek 2000 standards. Remember, they've already had the eugenics wars at this point in time in their history. So uh, seeing her drive this terrible drunk-down char after that, that was a good segue. The other ones, not so much. I want to add one little, little uh, other anecdote here really quick. Did you know this episode was originally uh, going to include Guinan and Q in some fashion? And... It was going to be Guinan and, you know, the Guinan, the actual Guinan, you know, because she's old, uh, was going to be interacting with Miss O'Donnell in the past. And there were some ideas tossed around about John Delancey himself came up with the idea. And it was kept in the back burner because they liked the idea. And unfortunately, because of scheduling conflicts, they had to push this forward because they wanted this episode to come out before the actual, you know, before the millennium in real life. And so they were like, you know, we got to make this happen. So Whoopi Goldberg wasn't available, and they couldn't get that in, and blah, blah, blah. So that, that fell apart, fell apart. but they still managed to uh, make this episode work. So, hey. Um, the, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I guess that's actually it I have as far as the behind-the-scenes thing. The, um, 
I, I, the, the nitpicker in me has to point out something. Several facts that are listed about the past in this episode uh, by the present crew are actually contradicted by Enterprise. I want you to keep that in the back of your mind because I'm going to talk about that as the second to last thing here. Okay, just bear with me. But just keep that back there because it's not actually a nitpick. Anyways, uh, it's me making up stuff as opposed to me reading into it. I'm getting ahead of myself. So um, I want to say that I would, e even despite all the, the stuff that happens in the Star Trek setting rather than ours, it is quite a world to think that in the year 2000, you can get into a car accident, not have insurance, and not have the money to pay the guy off, and the guy just shrugs and leaves. Now, I don't know how many of you have been driving since the year 2000. I have. I've been driving since, uh, I guess, mid-90s. Uh, 95, I want to say. Anyways, um, if you got into a... I mean, granted, there was like a non It was literally just a bump. But if you bumped someone, the odds of them being totally cool with it are very low. Try to imagine that happening now, by the way, in the year 2016. There's your dating, for those of you watching this in the future. In the year 2016, try to imagine someone bumping into someone else and the other person not making a huge freaking deal about it because, oh my God, you blah, 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 because people are terrible. Um, yeah, just what a world, you know. I want to give huge props to the set for the bookstore. That was actually a custom-designed set by Richard James. I haven't mentioned his name before because there's not a lot to talk about with him. Richard James is the successor to Zimmerman, who I have talked about many times in the past. Uh, Zimmerman, of course, is the Star Trek set designer, as many people consider him. Not just sets, actually, just general production art designer. Uh, he's done a lot of stuff. Uh, he eventually bowed out of Star Trek, and Richard James was brought in to temporarily and then permanently uh, replace him. Uh, most of the things you've seen on Voyager set-wise have been done by Richard James. And again, the bookstore is an excellent example of this really, really, really well done set. Huge props to him. Honestly, take a moment. Like that first scene where she comes in and there's that panning shot and you can see all the way up to the second floor. Just take that in. I, it's actually a very small set if you look at it, but it's brilliantly done. Huge, huge props to him for that. Um, they also did a nice little setup thing. So... You don't hear her name, the person play, being played by Kate Mulgrew, uh, for some time until finally she says, you know, uh, I can't actually remember her first name, you know, blah, 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 uh, O'Connell or O'Donnell or whatever. And uh, and then he says, well, my name's Henry, Henry Janeway. That's a nice little uh, setup. It's a it's one of the I've talked about this type of writing before. That's when the audience knows what the characters don't. Obviously, the fact that there's a character being played by Kate Mulgrew and a gentleman named whose last name is Janeway, you can figure that out immediately. And it's just interesting. Again, it's interesting for the same reason it always is uh, when you do that style of writing. It's like, oh, okay, that's how that's gonna go. Um, so the. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm looking at my notes. I've got to, I've literally, I'm supposed to facepalm. I might take my glasses off because I'm supposed to heavily facepalm. But anyways, it is interesting to see the world pre-Third War. This is after the Eugenics War in Star Trek, but before the Third World War, before the big one, before the one that led into First Contact. Uh, and it's interesting to see how it's it's just a little bit different. It, it's 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 my favorite kind of alternate history thing, where everything is just one step away from how things actually are in real life. I mentioned the car incident earlier. The fact that people are being this peaceable and this uh, accepting, the fact that he can actually dig his heels in and not sell, the fact that that's a thing, 
really is indicative. It also kind of showcases something else, which is a subtle little point that I like. It points out the fact that this is not a corporation that's pushing for this. Money is a concern. You get that because they offer commercial shops within this new uh, Millennium Gate, right? That is a thing they are offering. So they do need money, but that's to fund a project. This is clearly something that's being pushed by the actual people who are interested in pushing science and engineering and what. I'm not going to say NASA directly, but you know, in that line of thought. Um, and so it adds a nice little layer to things, and it add and it showcases. I, I don't know. It just showcases how things were before the bombs fell, and and it's just it's fascinating to me. I don't know. I don't know what else to add to that. Um, one uh, one other thing I find interesting about this is that I have to take my glasses off now because, really, in this episode, Seven learns a, a lesson about humanity. God, why? It's 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 the new Neelix is a bad cook. That's what it is. That's what it is. It used to be Neelix is a bad cook. Neelix is a bad cook. And now it's Seven learns learns a lesson about humanity. Seven learns a lesson about humanity. Seven learns a lesson about humanity. Oh my God, let it go. Ah. Oh. And don't start singing. God. That's all I'm going to say. There's another Seven Learns a Lesson About Humanity. Blah. Moving on. All right, so I, I mentioned that I wanted you to keep the uh, alternate history thing in the back of your mind while I was going through this. Oh, excuse me. I had to blow my nose. I had a sneeze attack there. Sorry. Interrupt myself in mid-thought here. The, alternate, the in misinterpreted history thing. Now, let me make this clear. The creators of Star Trek did not do this on purpose. This is not something that was cleverly woven into the narrative of two separate shows in order to make sense. No, absolutely not. This is fully me making up stuff to cover for their mistakes. Let's make that point clear, okay? <laughs> this is definitely more a me making stuff up as opposed to me pulling, uh, you know, me interpreting from what's there, okay? That I've, I've talked about that distinction many times. This is clearly and decisively in the I'm making stuff up thing. But I found it interesting to talk about because, remember I mentioned earlier those nitpicks? The primary theme of this episode is how history can be misinterpreted and misinformed in the future. We've actually seen this before. Uh, I forget the name of the episode, but it's one where the Doctor, or rather a copy of the Doctor, is found way in the future, and they totally misinterpret how Voyager functioned back in the day. You remember that one? Um, and it's not exactly an infeasible thought. It is further not infeasible in this specific case, because as we know, a lot of really horrific things happened around that period of time, including the First, uh, first Romulan War just to name one right off the top of my head, the beginning of the Klingon hostilities, the Zindi incident, let's just go ahead and call it what it is, and of course, uh, the Third World War, if we're going back even further than that. So there's a lot of stuff that happened that would make it difficult to keep accurate historical records. That makes sense. I'm with that. But one of the interesting things that has always just been in the back of my mind is that Enterprise is never mentioned in all of Star Trek ever. Think about that for a moment. Archer and his crew had done a fairly large amount of things to basically start the Federation of Planets, start that first coordination between people, and kind of push forward for the first burgeoning era of space exploration. They were literally on the cutting edge, or the bleeding edge, I think is what that's called, but whatever, the, the one past the cutting edge. They were right there before it was even the frontier, before Kirk's time, and yet history never mentions them Ever. Why do you think that is? Now, the obvious answer is 
because it was badly written drivel and they didn't know how to deal with that and so yada 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 but the potential was always there and if i ever get around to enterprise i'll talk about this here too the potential was always there to explain that very simply with the ramza effect i'm going to pause for a second because i bet none of you have any idea what i'm talking about in final fantasy tactics there are two heroes in that game okay there's ramza and there's delita ramza is the one you play as delita is the bad guy. And again, I'm putting these in quotes because Final Fantasy Tactics is an incredibly convoluted and wonderfully gray game. So really, classic labels don't fit for the most part for most of the characters. But the point is, Delita was... So, from history's account, Delita was lauded as a hero and a general and a savior of the people who ended the t tyranny of the, of the church and brought peace to, uh, amongst the warring aristocracy and was kinged and crowned and, and celebrated for generations and will always forever be known as this great, wonderful hero. No one knows who the hell Ramza is. Now, if you're paying attention, you know, you can already tell where this is going. Ramza was in basically every way the real hero, the one who actually did all that, the one who actually saved the land, actually stopped the church, actually beat the Lukavi, who no one even mentions in all of that, and basically is the real hero involved. Now, there's some depth and complexity I could go into FFT. I don't want to get into that. The point here is the Ramza effect is when the hero of the story is never remembered, is not lauded as a hero, is not... Uh, praised as here. They might be remembered. I suppose I shouldn't say they're never remembered. But the point is, the truth about what they did is not known. But they did it anyways. That's what Enterprise could have done. They could have made it so that history didn't remember Enterprise because dot dot dot. I mean, they already had the Temporal Cold War as a thing in the Enterprise uh, arc, so that wouldn't be too hard to write in. They never did that. In the interest of fairness, they might have been working up to that. Again, I don't want to get too much in Enterprise here. But my point is, this theme here in this episode and all the things that they mentioned in the past that contradict that might not actually contradict that. We might literally, in the present of Voyager, have so little accurate information of the time of Enterprise that they actually don't know what the hell happened. It would explain a lot of things, actually. And would be a great way to take that series, in my opinion. But oh, whatever. The last thing I want to talk about. Okay, so, I mentioned this way at the beginning. Um, I mentioned that I'm okay with this idea, like, like the idea of trying something new, and I'm okay with that, and the idea of doing something completely not a voyage. I'm okay with I'm the one who liked family over in TNG, and I know that's a very divisive episode to talk about, especially uh, among certain types of fans. Um, but especially amongst the creators, Family was a very divisive episode. They had to fight tooth and nail to make Family happen because it didn't happen in space, because it didn't really have any sci-fi elements. And they had to cram the Wesley plot in there to satisfy Rick Berman on the matter. Yes, he was an issue even back in Season 4 of TNG. That's how long Rick Berman's been a problem. Anyways, um, so I've had an issue here. Uh, I shouldn't probably admit this to you, but I actually had a technical issue. You notice I've got the monitor on here. I suppose I'll turn that off. I'm just kind of monitoring it to make sure that doesn't happen again. Uh, I'd explain it, but it, there's no reason to. It's a technical glitch. It's, it's just a hard work. I'm not really sure what happened, so we're just leaving that so I can see uh, what I'm recording. Usually I turn my monitor off while doing this, otherwise I would have caught this immediately. So I just kind of chopped off the last few minutes of my own discussion here, so I'm just going to reiterate uh, what I just said that, of course, you haven't seen at all. I'm okay with this kind of episode. I'm okay with doing something different. I'm okay with doing something new or unexpected or whatever. All I ask is that you have it have significance, right? Now, there's two sides to this, okay? First of all, in the present, they actually do take it forth in a decent uh, decent direction, basically. They have the 
the truth doesn't matter so much as what you took away from it matters. In other words, to put it bluntly, you may be inspired by a lie, but you were inspired. That still matters. In fact, this actually ties into another thing I've talked about many times in my show and in real life, which I'm sure several of you could understand and, and, and uh, associate with. To wit, just because it's a television show doesn't mean it doesn't matter to me. Just because it's a video game doesn't mean it doesn't matter to me, and so forth and so on. Yes, it's fictional. Yes, it's fake. It can still inspire. It can still make me feel. And it can still make me think. The fact that it's fake doesn't change that. And they kind of address that in the present here. And they've actually talked about this in the past as well. And I've talked about this in the past as well. And I think this is actually probably a much better take on that same concept than that god-awful thing with the Irishman. Which, wait, have we hit that episode yet? I don't actually remember. We might not be there yet. Oh, no. Anyways. <clears throat> Next point, and more important. The thematic significance. Like I said, okay, you want to do something different, make it relevant. They could have done a lot of different things here. They could have made it have some relevance to the present, like the original Guinan idea could have been. They could have made it in some way showcasing something that's significant to the to the plot or the characters or show character growth in some way thanks to events that happened in the past. You know, several things they could have done. And they did technically do the character growth, or rather characterization, excuse me, thing with Janeway and O'Donnell. But the thing that they did that I like best is the handshake. This right here, in my opinion, is what Star Trek is all about at its most core. When you strip away everything else, it's always about the handshake. To people, to organizations, to teams, to groups, to species who don't agree with each other and don't have the same ideas and don't have the same concepts, nevertheless finding a common ground of respect and mutual dignity between each other so that they can cooperate and move forward based off of that. The handshake. I really really like that concept across all of fiction, really. And I feel this episode does a great job of weaving that into things. O'Donnell and, Hen and, and Janeway, Henry and I forget her first name, have almost nothing to do with each other, and yet there is nevertheless a mutual respect there. They also don't spend too much time on the romance, which definite props there. I think that would have been a detriment to the episode because that's not really what the episode is about. This is not a Janeway love story, you know. This is all about misinterpreted history, and the handshake. And I like that. So I would give this the stamp of approval if I was in Rick Berman's spot. So yay. I might have someone other than Joe Minoski work on it, though, or at least have someone go over his script. You know, someone, come on, fix the plot a little. Anyways, I will see you guys next week when we'll be talking about time travel. See you around, guys. <laughs>